the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No book on earth is deeper and richer than the Bible, and few passages of Scripture go deeper than the book of Romans. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles with us to Romans chapter 10 and listen in to part one of this message as we learn together from God's Word. Take your Bibles as you're seated and turn to the book of Romans chapter 10. Continuing our study in Romans chapter 10 today. Romans chapter 10 will be our text this morning. Hope you've had a great week. Looking forward to next week. Uh, Looking forward to Frontline Heroes Sunday next Sunday. Pumped. Uh, We're praying that God will bring us 100 Frontline Heroes, which is a cop, firefighter, Border Patrol, uh, ICE, Customs Enforcement, FBI, DEA, CIA, um, or a congressman. Any of the above. So, uh, well, all of those but the last. So, uh, um, anyway, pumped about, pumped about that. We've had a lot of great uh, responses and appreciate your prayer. And I pray that you're going to keep praying and bring somebody with you next Sunday just to honor law enforcement. You know, people in our, in our world today are crying out for somebody to stand up for just common sense. I mean, they really are. Like, you work next to people that are like, I just wish somebody would say what everybody else is thinking. Well, I'm just telling you, I'm that guy. I don't say that arrogantly. I'm just tired of the nonsense that's going on in this world. And I'm just going to stand up and say, stupid is stupid and truth is truth and facts are facts. And I don't care about your feelings. Put a helmet on, sweetheart, because it's about to get rough up in here. I'm like, well, I just think we should all be soft and gentle. This isn't even my message. I don't know where it's coming from. We're not charismatic, but I feel like it's an extra word from the Lord. So I'm teasing about that. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, people want to be a part of something and a place that speaks truth. We are thankful for police and for fire and for agencies that work to keep us safe. And I know not everyone's perfect. I get that. Believe me, do I get that. Uh, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, and not every cop or firefighter or whoever is perfect. But praise God, he gave us governmental authority to keep us safe and to encourage and to help us. And, and I'm just so thankful for those guys, those men and women who serve us. So next Sunday, bring somebody with you. Come prepared to be a blessing and encouragement. And so next Sunday when you come and you see a bunch of officers here, as I said last week, it's not the time to get your fix-it ticket checked, all right? Just not the time to do that. You can come at another time. I know a lot of officers, and they'll do that for you, and they're happy to do it. Next Sunday is just an opportunity for us to serve them, and uh, I'm pumped about the opportunity that we have there. If you found Romans 10, say amen or hallelujah or go Padres or something. I just want to make sure that you're there. Don't laugh at the go Padres. All right. Um, when I was a kid, I worked really, really hard to be a, 
to be a good student. I, I really did. I make fun of it but uh, often, but I, I really did work diligently. I, I had seen my brother not even try in school, and so I didn't want to be like him. So I, uh, you guys are a hard crowd this morning. So loosen up a little bit, all right? Loosen up a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I, worked, uh, I worked diligently, and, and my teachers... Uh, I, I really enjoyed, but the teachers that I found to be the most obnoxious were the English teachers. Thank you. Yes, I, I just, I, I, I just remember um, like the first sentence I was asked to diagram. How many of you remember what diagramming is? I, I hear today they don't make kids diagram. How many of you have never diagrammed a sentence? We won't hold it against you. We'll just make fun of you. All right. Well, if you're from Mexico, you don't have to diagram English sentences. That's fine. But the Mexican, we never die. Do they diagram sentences in Mexico? That they do. Okay, Bernardo, you just skipped school. So show up to school. You'll have to do the work. That'll be a great thing. That'll be a great thing. And so I remember having a diagram, and my teachers were. Mm, how would I say this? Less than gracious in helping us to learn the English language. As a matter of fact, in kindergarten, this is the first sentence I ever had to diagram. Looked something like that. No, I'm kidding. It was probably in college, and it looked more like this one. It looked more like this. The most basic form of a sentence diagram really looks like that. You put the subject on the left. You put the, the, the verb on the right. But when you start diagramming, how many of you have figured this out? They change the name of the words. Like, diagramming is not hard enough. What has been a verb your entire life, which is an action word, now suddenly becomes a predicate. And then you have predicate nominatives and all of this stuff. I just want to be the first one to say the cabal of English teachers, I hope they go down in the tribulation period really, really badly. A predicate? How come that's not a verb? And so some of our English people, now listen, if you're like, I know the answer, don't come tell me because the youth director in me will not be able to keep quiet me making fun of you for number one, I don't care. And number two, they're just wrong. How many of you agree they're just wrong? Like if it's a word, it's a word. It's, it's like it's an action word. That's always been a verb. And then the teacher's like, it's a predicate. Well, say predicate class, predicate. Why do we have to say predicate? It's always been a verb. Well, it could be other things. I, this is how much it irritated me last night after I figured out what I was going to introduce this message with. I went online to figure out, like, what's the difference between a verb and a predicate? And this is what I figured out. Nobody knows. I literally spent 40 minutes reading this. So you wonder why I'm like I am? Because of stuff like this. I want to get a good grade. I don't know. Predicate, verb, predicate, nominative, direct object, indirect object. I just wanted some ice cream. And now I got to tell people where it sits on this line with a cross. What are we in geometry class? I thought this was English. And then here's another reason I don't like English teachers. Everything's a rule except when there's an exception. I before E except after C when followed by B to the square root of D. What? D doesn't even have a square root. Shut up, Chris. You shouldn't ask questions. Just follow the rules. I'm trying to, but I don't know what they all are. Can I get an amen up in here? Now, if you're a kid in here, listen, English is the greatest language ever. Just shut up and obey your teachers, all right? And if you wonder why I said that, it's because your parents are going to come to me after service going, why'd you tell my kid he didn't have to know English? So I'm telling you right now, obey your parents, learn the language, and when you graduate, we'll make fun of your parents together, and they will join us because they feel the exact same way, unless they're the biggest geeks on the planet, all right? Which we have a few of them here. Anyway, I remember telling my teacher, Mr. Pharaoh, and let me tell you, he did not let his people go. 
remember telling Mr. Pharaoh more than a few times when it came to diagramming and predicates and all that. I, I remember telling him, like, Mr. Pharaoh, I just don't get it. And he would say, well, Chris, let's work on it again. And we'd work on it again. And I just didn't get it. And we'd work on it some more. And I just didn't get it. And we'd work on it a little harder. And I just didn't get it. Over and over again, to be honest with you, I just never truly got it. So if you follow my academic career, you'll see that I did really well in like history and science and math. You might guess this, debate. I was really good at debate. And, and, and I did well in that. But put me in front of an English class and have to figure out what, what verbs and nouns are. Oh, it's a person, place, thing, or idea. Yeah, I could pass the test. But what I think is an idea, you might think is an action. And therefore, there's exceptions to this rule. And now I have no idea what I'm doing. And I feel insecure even while preaching. And so I would say to Mr. Pharaoh, I just don't get it. Well, you know, not getting English can be troublesome, especially if you're an author. not getting English can be troublesome to some small degree but not getting the gospel that can be devastating and in our text this morning the apostle Paul is writing the church at Rome and he's helping them to understand the impact of the gospel and in order to understand this passage like we need to understand it, I want you to take your Bible, look back at Romans chapter 9 real quick, and, and look at verse number 31, because it, it plays into verse no, chapter 10. It, it's so important that we understand that. Paul clearly says in, in Romans chapter 9, verse number 31, but Israel, which follow after the law, followed after the law, I should say, of righteousness. Now, this first phrase, the law of righteousness, is referring to what we call the Old Testament law, which normally would be represented by the Ten Commandments. Now, there are about 400 commandments, uh, a little over 400. Uh, I think it's 410, 420 to be exact. Uh, but, but they're represented by the Ten Commandments. And so when he says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, or the Old Testament requirements of God, this is what Israel followed after. This, notice verse number 31 hath not attained or has not reached or has not, has not received the law of righteousness. Now, the second word righteousness there, the last word of verse number 31, is a state of being legally right with God. It's a state of being in obedience and compliance to God's word. It's a state of being, let me say it again, right with God. Their actions, the actions of the Israelites, have not and cannot meet the moral requirements of God's law. It is impossible for them to meet those requirements. And, and so Paul says here, they followed after the law of righteousness. They tried to follow the commandments, but they were unable to ever meet the law of righteousness or to be morally right with God based on their behavior. Verse number 32, why? Wherefore? Why? Because they sought it, they sought the law of righteousness, not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled 
at the stumbling stone and the rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So Paul says in verse 32, they sought the law of righteousness, but they didn't seek it by faith, but they tried to prove their value by doing good and keeping the law, and they were incapable of keeping the law of righteousness, which is of faith. So here's what we understand, verse 31 and 32. And it's the, it's the recurring theme of the book of Romans, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We say this over and over again. Being saved is by grace alone, the grace of God that is extended to you and to me, to the Israelites in the first century and to the Gentiles in the first century. It is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. And so Paul goes on to say in verse number 33, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, Behold, I lay in Zion, or Jerusalem, Zion, a stumbling stone. The stumbling stone here and the rock of offense here in verse number 33 is Jesus Christ. Okay? Why is Jesus offensive? Because Jesus says your works are of no value. If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. Your adherence to the Old Testament law now, when Jesus comes on the earth, now mean nothing, for Jesus came and fulfilled the law. We'll talk about it in a second. I lay a stumbling stone in Zion, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him, on Jesus Christ, shall not be ashamed, shall not be embarrassed, shall not be turned away. So Paul writes all of this, and Romans chapter 9 is so powerful because it deals with and, and has import into and insight into God's dealing with the nation of Israel. And, and God is dealing with the nation of Israel, and then he comes to chapter 10, verses 1 through verse number 17, and he talks about getting the gospel, and Paul says in verse number 1, and we see it here, Paul's desire and Israel's mistake and we see Paul's desire in verse number one, where he says, brethren, or he's talking to believers, he's talking to redeemed people who are members of the church at Rome, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My, my heart's desire, that which brings, desire simply means that which brings pleasure or longing or craving or yearning. It, it, it's not it's a, it's a word that defines Paul's spiritual desire for the people, but it's not a word that is, is unique to spirituality. It could be, I desire food, or I desire to see my spouse, or I desire to go on vacation. Paul says here, my yearning, what would bring me pleasure, my longing, is that Israel might be. Now, we use the word might in so far as potential. Like, like potentially be saved, but that's not what it means here. It's a quality of being. It's a different word. We use it all the time that way, but, but it, in, in more archaic language, we might say it this way. Uh, we, we might use the word might. It's a state of being. So my heart's desire, my pleasure, my longing is that Israel would be, and then he uses the word saved. Well, what does saved mean then? Saved is a word we use in church all the time. 
And it means delivered from the eternal judgment of hell and to become a citizen of heaven, to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life. When people say, oh, I'm saved, if they're being honest, what that means is I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I'm delivered from the judgment of hell that all men live in from the time of their accountability. Here's what John chapter 3, verse number 36 says. Because sometimes people say, well, pastor, I, I, I don't need to be saved because I've never really rejected Jesus. I'm neutral towards him. No, here's what John three thirty-six says. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The word abideth is in the present active tense, meaning the wrath of God abides on people or the judgment of God is on anyone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's not that the judgment will come on them. It's that the judgment of God is already on them. Now, his mercies prevent judgment. We'll talk about that later in the immediate sense. But the day will come if they don't accept Christ as their Savior, that mercy will be removed and judgment will be displayed on that person. So when someone is saved, they're delivered from the eternal judgment of hell. They become a citizen of heaven. Well, how does that happen? By submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their life. And Paul says, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And you say, well, what does he mean by that? Well, Romans chapter 9 we looked at this a few weeks ago. Verse number three, the Apostle Paul says this, for I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, I would literally die and go to hell and spend eternity in hell separated from God if it meant that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, would turn to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul understood that couldn't happen. Paul understood that wouldn't happen, but that really was his heart's desire. It's part of the inspired part of Scripture. He's not speaking hyperbolically. He's not speaking grandiosely to try to drive a point home. It literally is his heart's desire to suffer and spend eternity in hell, separated from God, if God would save the nation of Israel. He knows it can't happen, but that is his desire. And so we see his desire in verse number one. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I have to ask a question when I read this first to myself and to you. And that is, what desires do you have when it comes to the condition of other people? Do you desire to see people come to Christ? Do you desire to see them saved from the eternal fires of hell? Let me ask you this way. What's the focus of your prayer life? Most of the time when we pray, most of the time when we pray, as a general rule, Western thinking would pray this way. God, I need help with this and this and this and this and this. And and that's not even bad. We pray for a promotion at at work. We pray for the health of a loved one. We pray uh, to be able to buy a home. We pray for uh, to be able to stay in San Diego when we're up for orders. We pray for a business opportunity that opens up. We pray for all these things. And by the way, not a problem with any of that in the world. That's totally fine. God is okay with that. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 11, verse number three, give us this day our daily bread. Praying for our needs is not a bad thing. 
But have you noticed, if we're being totally honest, that sometimes the focus of our prayer life becomes very much about what we want and what we need? I'm not, again, I'm not being critical of anyone. I find myself doing that. And here's what Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. When I pray for Israel, I'm praying that they'll be saved. How many times, just in a week, do, do just take mental account, how many times within a week do you spend time in prayer praying for people to come to Jesus Christ? Specifically. Sometimes we're like, oh Lord, and save all the lost people. Well, well that's not going to happen. We know that broad is the way that leads to destruction. But when's the last time you prayed for your neighbor to be saved? Or your family member? Or your coworker? Or how about even people that come to church? There's probably 15 or 20 people here this morning that have not submitted to Jesus Christ and are not saved. They, 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 they're resistant. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a resistance going on there. When's the last time that you prayed for somebody specifically? How about... A generalized specificity, which is almost an oxymoron, but you'll understand. Like, like next week, we're praying for 100 officers to come to Canyon Ridge. Would you join me in praying that many of them will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what we're praying for. How many of you pray for your children to come to Christ, regardless of their age, but that they would come to Christ? We're praying for their salvation. And, and, and there's a point to be made here about the desire of the Apostle Paul that I'm praying. Here's Paul. I'm praying that they would be saved. And Paul is passionate about seeing people put their faith and trust in Christ. And he wanted to see them saved from the eternal fires of hell. Why? Because he understood the power of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse number 15. It'll be on the screen. Paul says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to them or at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, I just want to tell you real quick, the older that I get, the more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I learn about the scripture, the less weirded out I am by telling people that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that Jesus Christ will save anyone who calls on his name. I, I'm not ashamed of that in the slightest way. Matter of fact, I want that to be the message of my life. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 2, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, why am I not embarrassed? Because Jesus changes everything for anyone who calls on his name. I don't care if it's an officer. I don't care if it's a doctor. I don't care if it's attorney. If Jesus can save an attorney, he can save anyone. He saved a lot in the New Testament. I don't care if it's a politician. I don't care if it's a beggar. I don't care if it's a homeless dude. It matters not. The gospel changes everyone's life. And Paul says very clearly in this text, I have a desire and I want to see the nation of Israel saved. I have a desire and I want to see San Diego saved. Well, we, don't only see, we not only see Paul's desire, but we see Israel's mistake. Paul says, for I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I, I bear record. Paul could testify of this personally in two ways. They had a, a zeal, a fervor, a hotness, or we might say it this way, they were zealous or passionate about God, but they were passionate in the wrong direction. Paul had had the same zeal before he came to Christ on that Damascus Road experience that we read about in Acts chapter 9. And, and he had been a persecutor of the church, and he had been persecuted now as a Christian missionary pastor by the same people that he once worked with in the persecution business. 
So Paul could testify personally as an abuser, and he could testify personally as one who is abused, that they have a, had a zeal of God or a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The phrase not according to, without or not having any knowledge. Now, the Greek word knowledge or the word knowledge in the Bible has two primary meanings. You have the word knowledge, which is the word the Greek word gnosis which means uh, best way to define it is like pass the test knowledge. Like how many of you in here, and you can raise your hand, it's not arrogant, it's just the way God made you. If you're a good test taker, like you, you're just a good test taker. You can recite information, you can put it on a test, and, and you're just good at that. Like I, raise your hand quick, raise it high. Would you raise it? I want to see all the people I hate. All right, all right. How many of you are like me and you're not a good test taker? Like you're just not a good test taker. Yeah, you know why? Because we read the questions and we can figure out the teacher and where the teacher was wrong. And we want to argue with the teacher for their stupidity. Can I get an amen in here? Yeah, like this question contradicts itself, sir. I don't know why you wrote this question the way that you wrote it, but we should talk to the administration because this question can be answered four different ways. Chris, no, this, this question is answered this way. And here's the, the, the way that we know you're going to go in this class. See this? Yeah, it's an F. Now walk out. And so, story of my life, story of my life. Uh, I'm not I'm not the world's greatest test taker um, because I think uh, on a <laughs> I think on a different level. No, I I just I, I think philosophically about almost everything and how does this play out and how does this work out. And yeah, it's it's nothing uh, good or bad. It's just the way that my mind works most of the time. Well, you have a Greek word gnosis, which is like test taker knowledge. How many of you that are test takers can take the test? And within about three days, you forget everything that you wrote down. That's most of the test takers in here. You're good enough to pass the test. And three days later, you're like, oh, my word. If they ask me a question, I'm never, you might have got an A plus on the test. But three days later, you would have got an F if they took the test all over again. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful series of messages from Romans. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, and how to go to heaven, we invite you to visit CanyonRidgeRadio.com for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m. at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at canyonridgeradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.